Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi. You're listening to Dear Chelsea. I'm Chelsea. And oh, oh, wait, before we get started, I want to talk about this book that my friend wrote. Her name is Shelley Tagilski. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. But quite honestly, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Anyway, she wrote this new book and I wrote the forward for the book. And I just got done reading the book so that I could write the forward for the book. And I just have to say that it's I'm going to have her on as soon as we can, because this is the person who, for me, made meditation cool and made mindfulness cool. And like she drinks and she has fun and she laughs and she's like she's not a serious meditation person. She's like a fun, vibrant meditation person. And she's the one who kind of turned me on to understanding that, oh, there's more than one group of people who meditate. There's a whole panoply. So I'm really excited for you guys to A, read her book. B, I'll have her on the podcast soon and we can talk about our friendship. And she's the one who started the pandemic of love. So this organization that I've mentioned on this podcast on separate occasions, and what she does is she matches a donor and she matches somebody in need and she puts you in touch. So somebody will agree to, you know, help you with your rent for six months. And then you have a direct line of communication with them. And she's helped give over like $54 million during this pandemic of financial transactions between people helping people. And it's so important. It's all about just community and being there for your community. And like, how are you going to show up in your small way to make the small ripple effect in your small life to have it ripple to bigger, bigger, bigger ponds. Like, how do we all do that? And it just takes everybody being actively engaged with their community, with their neighbors, kind of like it was in the olden days, so that when somebody's falling, you're there to pick them up. And when you're falling, they're there to pick you up. So it was really profound. And I, I was a good reminder for me to read that book. So it's called Sit Down to Rise Up. I don't think it's out yet, but it will be coming out. And if you want to be supportive of Pandemic of Love, you can go to pandemicoflove.com and sign up, register to be a donor or register if you're in need. And on that note, uh, I'm already exhausted from talking. What do we do now, Brandon? Today's episode are all about bodies and sex, two of your favorite topics. Oh, okay. Is it about body dysmorphia or? Uh, Not necessarily body dysmorphia, just about our anatomy. Okay, great. I'm a biologist. Well, let's get into the first submission. It comes from Kimberly from Melbourne. 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 She's 38. She writes, Dear Chelsea, I'm a 38-year-old lesbian from Melbourne, Australia, and I'm 38 weeks pregnant. I'm pretty happy about it as it took some effort to get here, but as now I'm considered full term, I find myself suddenly wondering how it's anatomically possible for this thing to come out of my hoo-ha without causing some kind of irreparable damage on both my mental and physical health. Why do women do this? Do you have any tips or advice on how to prepare for labor and birth? <laughs> she came to the right place. Kimberly, Do I have any tips on how to prepare for labor? Yeah, don't get pregnant. It's too late for you. I don't like when people speak in weeks. As soon as they become pregnant, they start talking about weeks in the pregnancy. What about when they have the fucking baby and then it's like 70, 97 months? I know. I know. I know. Don't, it's the fucking I, worst. It's so annoying. But anyway, 38 weeks is what? Four into 38 is almost, she's eight months pregnant? Okay, eight months pregnant. Well, the good news is, is that people have been having babies since the beginning of time. 
So while you may feel like it's going to cause irreparable damage, I would argue that you are panicking at the last stage of your pregnancy because that's probably what women do too. Once they realize that a person is going to come out of your Pikachu, Mm. it is a hard reckoning. It is hard to think about that. But what you can use to assuage your fears is the knowledge that this is happening every day to millions of people. I mean, how many babies are born a day? Is it a million? Yeah, look that up. I mean, you're in a big city with a real hospital and people who have tons of experience laboring and delivering babies. So I don't think you have a lot to worry about except for your personal fears and i think you just have to kind of come to jesus with the idea that like this is what becoming a parent feels like it's scary and you're going to be scared after the baby's born at certain times you're going to be scared during certain parts of their childhood but the important thing is that you're almost done so that's a victory in and of itself and when you are done if anything happens to your pikachu they can fix that You can tell them in advance that you want them to fix that. What's going to happen to you mentally? You're going to go through so many different emotions and hormonal (laughs) incitements that it's going to be a very, very probably blurry time being a new mother for the first time. So how many babies are born every day? Approximately 385,000, according to the UN. That's 140 million a year. Ooh, that's too many. That is too many fucking people. Wow, that's so scary. 140 million people a year are born. It's a lot of people who shouldn't be having babies. Well, but let's focus on the fact that this woman is having a baby. She well, is. And, and now that, that she's is, full term. And that's Here like, we are. that's a glorious decision that you made. You're a lesbian, right? So yeah. she you actually worked very hard to figure this out. Yeah. So you're in a great position and you should be enjoying it. And if you have moments of doubt and insecurity, you, that's normal. Well, and I do think, again, meditation. Just to mentally prepare for, for what the ba- you're... Yes, and for, for, for your for inter- integrating with the baby yes. and to prepare yourself emotionally. That's a great idea. I'm sure there's pregnancy meditations. If you look on Calm or Headspace or Chopra, any of those apps offer all those kinds of meditations. But you should really start to get real focused on the labor and delivery and know that you're going to succeed and prevail and it's all going to work out and you're going to be fine because we're living in the year 2021. So, you know, the days of you going to the hospital, having a baby and something terrible happened, you know, that's not the way we live in society these days. You know, just harness that strength that you have. Yeah, you're a mama bear. You're You're a mama bear. You got to be strong for you and your baby. You have it in you. Oh, that's exciting to have a baby if you're someone other than me. Kimberly. Problem solved, Kimberly. Thanks for calling or writing. And, And good luck. Send us a picture of you and your baby. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right now, and we'll be right back with more calls and calls and just love. Okay, I think we need to get her some straight-up birthing advice. Since neither of us can do that, obviously, we're going to get my friend Carson Meyer on the phone. So this is very exciting for me because I know Carson, but I had no idea she was a doula. And this is somebody who's going to talk to us about what actually happens when you give birth. So to the woman we just spoke to and to all women out there who are scared shitless of childbirth, count me in, Carson is going to help us demystify, I guess, the entire situation. Hi, Carson. Hi. Oh, my God. I love you. You know what? You're just what an adorable. I can't believe you're a doula now. 
I've been a doula for almost five years. But I didn't even think you were 19 years old. Or how old are you? I'm almost 28. Oh, my God. Are you back in L.A.? I am. I'm in Topanga, the home of the doulas. Oh, that's where all doulas have to live. <laughs> <laughs> doula capital of the world. Carson, really quick, can we get yeah. an explanation? What is a doula? For people listening who don't know or are not familiar with the profession, what exactly does a doula do? And maybe how could they find a doula if they are interested? Yeah. So uh, as a birth doula, I work with parents through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum to help inform and educate them on all of their choices in whatever setting they choose to give birth. I'm helping to advocate for them, making sure their voices are being heard, needs are being met, and that they have all of the information they need to make empowered decisions through the process. So, Okay. So we had a caller. How would you summarize her? She was very far along in her pregnancy and it just dawned on her that she's going to have to birth this child it's no longer just going to take up space in her uterus it's going to have to come out at some point so she needs she needs a little pep talk she needs advice and insight on what to expect how to get through it she's freaking out and can't believe she's about to give birth i think just the process itself is what's so scary to her like the idea which i think is very relatable that it's very scary to think about a human being coming out of your vagina, what happens to your vagina, the pain that you experience, and what happens if anything goes wrong, and how you recover in the short term and probably in the long term. You know, I saw a TikTok video the other day of a live childbirth, and I was disturbed, to say the very least. And I just can't imagine something so violent happening to my Pikachu. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I think we, I feel this way. I felt like, you know, we had sex ed, right? We were raised to think, get pregnant and die, right? It's just the most terrifying thing that can happen. I refer to that scene in Mean Girls, right? Or it's like, have sex, get pregnant and die. And that's like the extent of our childbirth education as young women. And so for me, it was when I saw the business of being born in college that I was like, blown away by seeing depiction of birth that wasn't just the Hollywood depiction of birth. It wasn't flailing legs and blood and all these masked men standing over you. It was powerful and in some cases even pleasurable and very empowering for these women. And so I was like, why haven't I seen these depictions of birth? And where's the class later on in life to say, okay, we're not scaring you into pregnancy anymore. Here are your choices. Here are your options. Here is some, let's work through these fears that we kind of pushed on you for so many years. Seeing the business of being born was really eye-opening to me. And so I think she is not alone in that fear. I hear this all the time. And part of what I do as a birth doula is help parents work through these fears, demystify some of the myths that they have been hearing around childbirth, and then also know how to approach of what can be a very difficult process and something that is a huge life transformation. So what does our body naturally do for us during this process? I think that's what people have a hard time understanding. How does your yeah. vagina open that big? And then what happens after? I mean, that's my first question. Obviously, that's but like, how does your body internally ready you for this experience? Yes. So the understanding the physiological process of what is happening in the body during pregnancy and labor and postpartum is 
unbelievable and incredible. And I, for me, just gives me such a, a deeper respect for the female body and nature and how brilliant the whole process is. What happens in labor is the cervix, which has remained closed and hard through pregnancy to keep the baby inside is starting to soften and open. And so a process that we say, oh, it takes so long, right? Yeah, first time labor can be long, but really what's happening in a day or two, your cervix is going from completely closed to 10 centimeters open to allow for the baby to come out. And this happens through the contracting of the 10 centimeters, is that the limit? Or can it go beyond that 10 centimeters? It just goes to 10 centimeters. Really? I bet you some people go to 12. (laughs) Well, it does, you know, it stretches and allows for the baby to come through. Um, The cervix is what goes, it's on the top of the the birth canal, right? The vagina. So, okay. Well, that's good because I honestly didn't know that. That has to open for the baby to come into the birth canal. Okay. Copy that. Keep going. (laughs) What's happening in that process, the contractions, which is the stimulation of the uterus that is bringing the baby's head down onto the cervix and lower into the pelvis, that happens due to oxytocin. And some people know of oxytocin because it's this pitocin, which is very widely used in uh, labor as a drug, is a synthetic version of oxytocin. But oxytocin is something we create in our bodies automatically. Not to be confused with oxycotton, people. This is a two. These are two very separate items. (laughs) They are, but they also both feel good, right? A feel good chemical or a hormone. So oxytocin is known as the love hormone because it's released in our bodies when we fall in love, when we have sex or orgasm, when we are with our pets, when we are in laughing amongst friends. It's what bonds us to one another and makes us feel good and like we belong. The highest surge of oxytocin that ever happens in the body happens in labor. And this is what is contracting the uterus. So I always say that, you know, feeling good, having a doula, having music, having support, feeling safe, being in low lighting, having candles, right? The same way the baby comes in is the same way the baby comes out. Having that oxytocin and that feel good is not just a nice experience for your birth, but it's literally telling your body you are safe, you are okay to bring the baby out into the world. So I think that's like the proof of how important it is to work through fear before birth and to approach it feeling empowered and supported because when we stop the flow of oxytocin, we stop the flow of labor. Oxytocin is also what bonds you to your baby right away. So when you look into your baby's eyes, when you have skin to skin, what does oxytocin do? It tells the uterus to continue contracting. And that's what helps stop bleeding postpartum. It's what gets that uterus that has grown to a size of a watermelon back to size. It's also what tells your body to produce breast milk. So it's really this brilliant hormone that is wow, play. Yeah, wow. That is, you know what? This is a very helpful explanation for someone who will never have a baby. You make it sound beautiful. Now I'm understanding the draw. If you do it the right way, it can be beautiful. Yeah. And I think there's there's room for, for it all. It's beautiful and it's hard and it's messy. But I do, my wish for all women who want to have kids is that they can go into it feeling that and knowing that feeling good is what's going to serve them 
through the process. Yeah. Also, you know, my psychiatrist, he has a theory about being born. Well, not it's not his theory, but there is a theory out there, you know, about being born, about being you're in the womb and it's safe and it's you're there for nine months and you there's no noise and and you're being fed and you don't have to go to the bathroom. And then you're thrust into fluorescent lighting, spanked on the ass and having tubes shoved in you. And all of a sudden, you're in the world. And you have to communicate that you're hungry and you have to communicate that you have to go to the bathroom. And that is a trauma in and of itself. Being born is traumatic. Yeah, and I, but it doesn't have to be. And that's where we've done a big disservice in the over-medicalization of birth, right? Birth is not a medical event. And doctors and OBs and hospitals are fantastic at dealing with emergencies. And thank God we have them, right? But overall, we have kind of swung this pendulum for the past really 100 years almost to taking away from this physiological process and over-medicalizing it. And we're learning now through research and also, as you're saying, right, people who are working through trauma that's starting from day one is that the more we can protect this environment. And that means home, hospital, wherever you are and support a gentle birth for the mother, but also for the baby, right? Being born into dim lights, being born into hearing your parents' voice first. Yeah, right, right. Or to going skin to skin with your parents, having that time to adjust to the outside world, which is big, right? Yes, it's going to be traumatic at a certain point to just be human and and function in, in our, our world today. But protecting that space is so important for establishing healthy breastfeeding. And then, like you say, I think it's something that we store in our memory for years, right? The way that we perceive the world has a lot to do with our first moments in it. I'm biased, but I do think that having a doula is a wonderful way to prepare for this process. You can find doulas through word of mouth, Instagram, asking around, yoga teachers in your community, acupuncturists. I think more and more everybody is learning about the benefits that are actually evidence-based of having a doula. You can find me online at carson-meyer.com and I teach childbirth education classes online and also have a wonderful community of other recommendations that I'm happy to send your way. Well, that was very well said. Thank you, Carson. Thanks for your time today. It's lovely to see your face as always. And you know what? Your background looks to me like somewhere I want to be. So just pretend I'm there with you. Okay. Oh, I love this. This is great. I mean, who knew I would ever spend this much time talking about childbirth? Now she's going to become a doula. Oh, my God. What if I become a doula? Can you imagine if you are about to have birth and I'm by your side? Well, let me tell you, you know what helps oxytocin flow is laughter. Yeah, oxytocin. You know what helps laughter? Well, we'll talk about that later. I love you, Carson. Thank you so much. And Thank you. Yeah, please reach out to Carson for all of those of you out there in this area that are looking for someone qualified to teach you about all this stuff. It sounds like we found our girl. And get support. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Bye, Carson. Bye. Well, well that nice was just delightful. I mean, well, <laughs> that was delightful. That was the first time that I have paid attention to a conversation about childbirth that intricate. I usually, it's almost like math. When people get too into the weeds about Mm -hmm. childbirth or financial numbers, I tune out and then I need to take an edible. Well, she gave a great explanation. It still doesn't make it seem like it's going to be great, but if you can get that set up to make it a little bit more enjoyable, I mean, more power to you.
I'm glad that we don't have a baby. Yes, that you will never have a baby. Oh my god! And it is. I need to be more enthusiastic for people who are having them. I know. Me too. Because I I feel like I'm such an asshole. But I see pregnant people. I don't have a baby. I see people who are pregnant, and I just think, why? Why? Why would you do that? I know. When we were traveling, when we were at the airport. That's what Levi had said. He just looked at me and goes, aren't you so fucking glad we don't have to worry about a car seat or a stroller or any, or any of that shit while or you're traveling? pacifiers or Cheerios fucking everywhere. You're just bouncing this little fucking or baby. Or driving around in a smelly minivan that has fucking food stuck and yogurt squirts oh, and yogurts. God. Those yogurt fucking squirt things. My sister's cars give me so much anxiety knowing uh, that I have to get in them and then when I'm in them just I want to wipe everything I know, down. I know. I have the same thing. My sister's now my sister Simone whose kids are older so her car is a completely different situation yeah. than it used to be when they were growing up. I mean, it was so gross. I remember when I moved to L.A., I lived with my Aunt Gabby and Uncle Terry on Beverly Glen Boulevard, and they had nine children, and I had to take all nine children to school every day in a minivan. And I listened to Howard Stern, of I'd course. like to watch that show, actually, you as a bus driver. Oh, I was such a cunt. I would fucking scream and yell at them. But I would also take them to Disneyland and go to Magic Mountain if one of them didn't want to go to school. So I was good sometimes, but... I basically just had to earn my keep at my mm-hmm. aunt's house and my responsibility You're was, an au pair. Yeah, was to take them to school every day and I just I fucking hated it. I hated the smell of that van so much. Mm. It's like diapers, yogurt and Cheerios uh, stuck everywhere. Everything's tacky. Uh, well, tacky isn't it's the like, right word it's for gummy. it. It's gummy. Like they every like car seats have that you mean like sticky. sticky. But yes. tacky you mean well, because, t- tacky like sticky or yes, tacky as I in taste? Both. Well, no. It's not. No, and, and feeling. Because like you can't texture. have taste when you're doing that. When you're running around with fucking children, it's not like you have time to be like, oh, I'm going to. This is stylish. You know what else I'm never going to do is fucking share a hamburger with a child. Have you ever seen that? Like parents who eat things that their children have left there. Yeah, chicken nuggets. That's the only reason I would have kids is so that I could have all the chicken nuggets. N- not after they slobber all no, over them. No, 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 but, but I will eat do. a chicken nugget parents, off of a kid's plate whether I know the kid or not. Parents need to have a stricter threshold of what they will allow. Oh, I had a friend who's going through a really difficult thing because uh, her daughter is sexually active mm-hmm. and my friend is like freaking out about it. And her daughter is younger than she would hope to be sexually active, mm-hmm. but she's having responsible sex. Okay. But it was, I talked to her this morning and she was a hot mess about it. And I didn't, I just, you have a baby and you have your little pal mm-hmm. and they look up to you and they love you and they're devoted to you and they hang on your every word and then they fucking turn on you. You know, they mm-hmm. become adolescents and I know it's part of them individuating and they have to develop their own identity, but it's really hard to see a mom go through that. What is their communication like regarding this new? I think the communication could be better. And we talked about that this morning. And yeah, she just has to handle, she has to create some more boundaries because she didn't. And so things have gotten a little bit out of control. Mm -hmm. And she just needs to instill those boundaries a little bit more, kind of like having the kid over and them being sexual in the house. She doesn't have to allow that, but it's gotten a little too carried away. and And how do you think you would handle that as a parent? I feel like there has to be a certain level of acceptance that a parent must have because there's no undoing it once this has happened. Yeah, once the road is open, there's no turning back. Once you start getting sex, you're going to want more of it. Mm -hmm. If it's the right kind of sex and with somebody that cares about you, you're going to want more of it. But I don't know 
how I would handle it, but I, I, I'm trying to... Well, what advice did you give her? I'd said, you know, you have to create boundaries where there are none. You know, you can't take it back. She's not going to stop having sex. She's being responsible. She's not sick. She's not dying. It's not the end of the world. Not you have to look the at the macro instead of the micro. No one wants to hear about their child becoming sexually active. No one. No well, one we, wants we, to hear about that. And I get that. I don't. I was having sex when I was 14 years old. We also have to remove the shame from sex and the way that people have sex where it has to be so quiet and hidden. Well, and, if you're in your parents' house well, yes, having I understand. sex, yes. it shouldn't be loud and boisterous. <laughs> but even in conversation, the acknowledging it and the acceptance of it and the education component of being able to have those conversations where what you're doing is not wrong. There's an appropriate way to have sex and to communicate about mm-hmm. that with your partner, right, and, you know, right. with your family. But acting as if it's not happening, that doesn't really benefit no, anybody. No, no. And I think sometimes people, they don't want to say the thing that's going to push the kid away. So mm-hmm. they kind of ignore it. And then it comes back to bite them in the ass because the boundaries haven't been created. So the kid keeps pushing and pushing until the parent says, hey, 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 this is not acceptable. Like she has no right to say you can't have sex anymore because that's not going to work. But she has every right to say this is my house and these are the rules and you have to follow them. Yeah. I mean, that seems appropriate. Don't have sex on the kitchen counter. Well, nobody's having sex on the kitchen counter yet. I don't ever want to have sex on a kitchen counter if I ever have sex again, I mean, the way things are going, men are just so repulsive well, right now. Would you now. like to give us all an update? What what has been going Nothing. on? Nothing. Are, are you I on any been, apps? Been, are you, no, have you spoken to anyone? No, I've been writing stand-up material. I've been focused on my stand-up. That's what I'm fucking focused on. I'm not focused on trying to get penetration. <sighs> but we if it comes wait. along, Well, we have to wait till welcome. this probation time for men is over. And when they prove to us that they're done sexually assaulting everybody... Because not all men are bad, but there are enough bad ones that we need to focus on making sure that you guys all step it up a notch. What's next, sweetheart? Our next submission comes from Kelsey. She's 23. Oh, Kelsey rhymes with Chelsea. Out of Nashville. She writes, Dear Chelsea, for basically my entire life, I've only received mediocre dick. I still come, but only to move the process along a bit quicker. How do I manifest good dick without subjecting myself to being in a porn film? How can I know if a guy is good in bed before sleeping with him? I don't want to waste any more of my time. Well, uh, Kelsey. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that, Kelsey. This Un- is depressing. Well, it is depressing, but that's the depressing outlook. Even I don't have that outlook. Like, mediocre dick. First of all, you can't find out how somebody is in bed until you have sex with them. So they're not going to represent. It's not like you can ask somebody, are you good in bed? And they're going to tell you. They're all going to say Yes. And the ones that are going to say, no, you don't want to have sex. It's just this is. Or maybe they're setting reasonable expectations and you should have sex with them because at least they're not overselling it. I personally believe having sex with someone is a great introduction to find out if there's anything more worth talking Mm -hmm. about. I think sex should come first because I need to know your body and if we have chemistry and if all of the stuff is working together and then I can decide if I want to date you. So it's a little backwards for me because Mm -hmm. I need to know that that's going to be like a good portion of the relationship and that that's going to be where where the fun is getting to know somebody sexually sounds so uh, boring okay so I'm I'm obviously not a woman what not yet anyway and I would say reading this that she should be more vocal in what she does or does not like That's with, with good, these partners. Right. But but do women feel comfortable in that setting? So say you were meeting up with someone for, you know, it was a Raya date. He came over 
to have sex, would you be comfortable in that initial interaction to tell him like, hey, no, I'm not into this or hey, do this? Right, right, right. Yeah, I think that's a great question because this has come up before. I was talking to Ben Bruno, my trainer, that dynamo. I was talking to him about you know, women faking orgasms, because I said, you know, we fake orgasms all the time and you guys just like either don't care or don't know. And he's like, we know. And I go, well, then you don't care. And you guys are coming. And yet we're fake. Like you can't fake an orgasm. How's our guy supposed to fake coming? And he was like, yeah, but we know when you're doing it. I go, but if you know when we're doing it, why are you accepting of that? Right. Why would you not fulfill us? And on that note, I have had a hard time sometimes being vocal with a guy in bed about what I like. Like, I will fake an orgasm before I have one to get it over with. I will do that. I have done it. Every woman probably has. And for me to be really comfortable with somebody in bed, I have to know them, you know, so I'm not going to have an orgasm the first time. I mean, it'd be great if I did, but it's unlikely and I don't have my hopes up at this point. Well, for someone who is vocal as you are with what you want and need in other aspects, why would you not feel comfortable doing that in the first interaction? Like women need to take that power in their voice back. If they're not enjoying sex, and again, I'm not a woman, so it's I understand that I, I will never know this positioning, but you need to say like, hey, I'm actually not into this or I'm, I'd am i actually like to wrap this up. Like I'm not enjoying myself. You shouldn't have to just lie there and take it. Well, it's years and years of conditioning where we think that, you know, like even someone like me who you would argue is strong minded and strong willed. It's like, no, I, it's hard to say, listen, if, if I don't like something, I have no problem saying that. But I have a problem asking for what I want from someone unless I know them, mm-hmm. you know, like. I don't want a stranger to go down on me. I'd rather have sex with them. You know what I mean? Right. If I'm meeting somebody and I'm hooking up, that's too intimate for me. I want to do that other stuff with somebody when I care about them and when I'm into them. Mm-hmm. So for when me, you've created that kind of space. Yeah, for and you have chemistry the and then there's intimacy. Yeah. You know, there can't be intimacy right away. So I like sex more in the beginning. And then when you get to know somebody, you can get into other things because that is more intimate, in my opinion. But women have it's not our fault that we don't stand up for ourselves more and that we aren't more vocal, but we should all practice doing that. You know, we should well, I all... think that that's the advice for Kelsey yeah. then is just stand strong in your voice and what you want sexually. You can set that expectation up front. If you if you know there are things that will or will not turn you on or things you do or do not like, you shouldn't have to worry about relaying that information. No, and what you say on your closing line, uh, Kelsey, saying, I just don't want to waste my time anymore, it feels like that's a sentence that says you're at the end of your rope and you're at the point where you can say right away, this is what I'm into. And you know what? Do it for every fucking woman in your life that you care about. Because when you stand up for yourself, you're standing up for all women. Problem solved. Ding, ding, ding. The next one. It's always hard for me to give my thoughts on these very female focused submissions but it's that's okay that's what i'm here for sweetheart i'm a female it's hard when i hear women who feel like they just can't um come well can't come certainly but can't vocalize what their wants are yes their their needs it's not even a once like hey like i need this to be able to be aroused yeah like like guys are just so self-centered they're so self-serving but they're not you know some guys are really not like that some guys are very giving and as soon as you tell them they, they all do what you tell them to do like yeah you know i i mean if i become intimate or if i'm dating somebody after a few times no problem no problem saying hey do this do that but right off the bat it's like i don't know it's just like a guy saying hey like i don't want him telling me what to do either you know, that's kind of what chemistry is, being able to feel each other out and wanting to please each other. Have you had like a 
a sexual sleeper cell where it wasn't good the first couple of times and then you're like oh, I don't think I want to do this again you do it again and then it became good or maybe like you had gotten to know them better so you're because you're saying that basically the sex for you up front is how you're going to know if there's any any reason to continue that relationship yes. <laughs> but has it ever happened where that wasn't the case like you you made the mistake. I'm sure. I'm sure. There's been, yeah. But it, but it came back around. You're like, oh, I'm glad yeah, that I let I this think, go a little bit longer. Yeah, I think because people are need to get comfortable with each other. People need to find a comfort level. So obviously it gets better the more you get to know somebody. Like I used to have this guy in my 20s that I would call and hook up with when I was drunk at night. And I'd go to his house and he'd call me and we had crazy, crazy fun sex. But we had nothing in common. We never hung out sober. We tried to one night and it was awful and awkward. Like that was just a sexual relationship. And that's all it was. But when you combine the two and you want to have like, I mean, I do just kind of want sex, you know, at right. this point. Well, but I'm also like looking for people that I can spend time with. Along with the sex. Along with the sex. That would be a bonus. I mean, it's not a given that that's going to happen. But Wanting to hang out with somebody helps you become very attractive. You know what to is them. so I, I what I like about what you're saying is that you want the not romantic aspect, but the more the more intimate, I guess the the lounging and the cuddling to some degree. But after sex, you're also fully on board with them leaving. <laughs> you're like, yes, this is, I don't this like. Is done. You don't yeah, need to yeah, stay. Yeah, I don't need that in my life right now. That's for somebody that you know you have a real connection with. And on special occasions, I'm just way too independent. And I'm I like the way that I sleep with Bert in my arms. You know, it, what would happen to Bert if someone came in like I, Bert to me, like falling asleep with Bert in my arms with his body and his weight against my chest and his breath on my face is the happiest that I could ever be. Can you imagine that body being squeezed between you and no one would. Bert doesn't like men in that way. And that's lame. I don't want to say like, oh, I don't I like my dog better than men. But I, I do. Well, it serves a different purpose. I know. It's too bad Bert and I can't just have sex, but I can't do that either. And he's a virgin, hopefully. And I want to keep him that way because I'm an overprotective helicopter parent. Well, now we know how you would parent. There would be no sex in your house. That's right. Our next submission comes from Claire. She's in her 30s from Utah. I love when people write in from Utah. Yeah, I know. You, know you love That's good. like your sweet spot, Utah. I love Utah. I love, I hope they're Mormon. She writes, Dear Chelsea, I've been with my husband for 14 years, married 12. We have two children. Our marriage is beautiful and something that has never been easy, but I definitely appreciate all the opportunities to learn and grow. That is a very healthy outlook on a relationship. Wait, say that part again. Our marriage is beautiful and something that has never been easy, but I definitely appreciate all the opportunities to learn and grow. Uh, yeah, like, that what, is, what a stance. Yeah, right. People don't set you up for that sort of mentality when you're little, so that's nice. My husband and I have always been extremely sexual. We have sex often, and I personally feel like we have more sex than anyone I know. He still turns me on and knows exactly what he is doing. I feel like he would say the same. The problem is he thinks I control our sex life because sometimes I'm too tired or just want to go to bed. So because I say I'm not into it one time out of five nights in a row, he feels like I have control. He'll be upset enough that it will ruin our entire next day. What's the best way to tell him not tonight without offending him? Okay, these are all good questions. These are all great questions. Is she on the phone? Yeah. Is she on a Zoom? Yep. Oh, great. Claire. Hi, Claire. Hello. Hi, nice to meet That's you. So nice to meet you. You both are beautiful. So are you. you. So are you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Well, this is... 
A circle jerk, basically. This is one big circle jerk. <laughs> I wish. I love what you're saying about the complexities of your relationship and just kind of accepting all of the pain points and knowing that you can redirect those into growth. So that's a really yeah. nice outlook on relationships. That's refreshing. Yeah. I mean, the best way is to be positive about it. And I think talking about it, it's very taboo from my perspective. But can I ask, because you're from Utah, are you or were you Mormon? I was Mormon. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's your personal decision. Let's talk about your sex life. So how (laughs) often do you guys have sex? I would say out of the seven days, about five to six times, maybe. It's kind of hard because we always like have to plan it for nighttime. So, but yeah, it's tiring. It's so tiring. It's so hard. No, I I know the kids. How how old are your kids? Four and eight. Yeah, that is really tiring. Okay, so. So is sex six days a week. No, I know. Listen, let, let me just tell you right now, Claire, that is a lot. I don't know anyone who's having sex that often. Anyone that's married? No way. My girlfriends and I ask all of them. On average, they have sex with their husband, especially when there are small children, once a week. Some people are like, oh, yeah, twice a week. But not most people. Most people are like, oh, fuck, I try and throw my bone on Sundays, you know, or my friends are like, oh, you know, I'll try. I mean, half of them fake going to sleep early and some of them don't have to fake it because they're exhausted. But even my friends who are really into their husbands are not having sex more than twice a week. And really, Claire, is this like full penetration sex? Is this fooling around? Like what? How how are you classifying sex? It's like full on. Okay. Full on sex. Sometimes if it's that time of the month. I mean, people do that. That's great. I don't, it doesn't bother me, but um, like it will just be sometimes like a blow job and then he'll get me off or whatever. It's never like just one side of it, but my husband and I did not have sex after my son was born because of postpartum depression and all of that. So, but before kids, it was like that, but that was back a long time ago. So <laughs> I don't know. And w- when you say you kind of deny your husband or you're not in the mood or whatever, like, how does that go down? What happens? I don't know. It sounds kind of weird because we're, we're older, but, or like, I'm in my thirties, but I'm like texting him. I'll text him and say, you know, I'm just really tired. Can we, you know, do it tomorrow or whatever, just because of the day or I've had a bad day. Can we, can we do it tomorrow? And then he'll, he'll either like text back and, um, He'll say sure or like a one worded answer or whatever, because he's not he's not happy. And then he'll just go straight to bed and be mad. You can just tell that he's upset type thing. Yeah, his ego is is hurting. And are most of your interactions are they I understand with kids that there does have to be some sort of planning. But are any of these spontaneous? If you're texting to kind of set up or set the expectation that it's not happening tonight, it seems like it's very structured. Yes, very. It's, it has to be structured. So, and is that just because of the kids? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel like kids are always around, and so I don't want to like just say it out loud. Like, hey, you want to you want to go bone? You know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird, and so we'll we'll text a lot of the time, and so it is planned out. And he he has shown frustration with that just because he's like, I want it spontaneous, and you know, every once in a while we'll do that, but it's very very rare. It's always planned. And I don't like it either, but I don't I don't know what else to do. Yeah, I think the first thing is that you you need to communicate directly. Texting is yeah. not 
not you're married, so you don't need to be texting him about sex. And I think yeah. he might bear the bad news of not getting laid every single night a little bit better when you're holding his hand and just kind of treating him like a baby because that's how he's acting. He shouldn't be mad that you don't want to have sex with him. But he's obviously his ego is bruised and that's all he's able to focus on. So you kind of have to treat him with kid gloves around this issue, you know, and Mm -hmm. you kind of have to cajole him into understanding. That's not the right word, but hold his hand and understanding like this is there's no loss of love. There's this doesn't mean you're not attracted to him. It's totally understandable that you have a four and an eight year old. And if you can say these things while you're holding his hand or while you give him a kiss or you're hugging him, I think it will have a much different impact than you texting him that you're not in the mood. Yeah, you are completely right. Texting is just a very sterile response to a very intimate act. So if if that's the way you're communicating this, it could seem not that you are disregarding it, but maybe that you are not as interested in the intimacy aspect of the act. And so even by having like some some silent cues, you know, little things that after this long together, you guys should be able to read one another where you can give him a look or some sort of signal. Everything mm-hmm. is through the phone now. So even being yeah. able to look at him across the room so he knows like, oh, she's interested, I think would do you guys a great service because, again, it just mm-hmm. kind of forces communication in a different way that then maybe mm-hmm. it does feel more spontaneous. Again, even if it's you know you have certain windows of opportunity where it's not as structured and set up like an appointment might help. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. He, I think there's probably room for spontaneity in your life even though you do have a 4 and an 8-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, does yeah. the 8-year-old have playdates? Do they are they ever out of the house? Yeah. Usually like and everybody go, has been going through this, but COVID has made it really yeah, difficult because right. he is he's a he stays at home and works and then I'm now working from home. And so we're always together, but now they're, you know, things are going back to normal. So we're able to be alone every now and then. So. And you do like having sex with your husband when you do, right? Okay. That's good to know. Cause you're not a sex slave. He can't treat you like that. You're not obligated to have sex with him every single night, but I don't think that he deserves any sort of ire or anger because he's clearly operating out of ego and he's just has his feelings hurt. You know, that's, it sounds like. But you know, she also said something interesting earlier that if the option is not available for penetration, that if there's another sort of sexual act that he takes care of her. And this is something we actually had just spoken about, Claire, that there needs to be an equitable exchange with men and women to make a man needs to make sure that the woman also feels fulfilled sexually. So it seems like your husband is doing that, that that's a priority to him. If if sex is not an option and, you know, there's oral sex available that he does take care of you. So it seems like he wants to make sure that you feel good in that act as well. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and that also, I think over time, just being married, we've learned a lot because of the first of our relationship, that's not how it was, but we've definitely talked and communicated and it's, you know, it's not fair for one just to do. And I know that a lot of women go through that where they are just like, you know, a always the one for to the do man it. To use. Yes. And then the guy just like goes and you, you know, just, I just don't like, well, I think if you can, I think if you've been able to talk through those things, this should be an easy conversation to have because you yeah. you need to vocalize. And again, this is something I have all sisters and I talk about this a lot is women need to stand like in their power and have a voice and they need to be heard. So if that means you need to have a sit down with him, like, hey, I'm feeling 
like a utility to you when I'm not in the mood for sex. Like I do also have to be in the mood for this. We're partners in this. If I'm not in the mood, like I don't need you getting upset or taking it personally. Like sometimes it is about me. It is not about you. And if you've been able mm-hmm. to communicate all these other things, and for a lot of people, like that's the fucking hardest thing is communicating what you are into sexually or not into. So just positioning it to him in in person that, hey, like this is how you're making me feel. Like I want sex to make us feel this way. I don't want it to feel like a burden. And if I'm not ready for it or in the mood for it, I don't want to feel like there's always going to be a negative repercussion. Yeah, because that's really unfair of him to be in a bad mood the whole next day. You're a mother. You have two children. It's a lot different being a mother than it is being a father. And, you know, maybe he needs to understand that a little bit more, too. That might be something you want to communicate. It's a lot more trying on women than it is on men to be a mother. There's a maternal thing going on that they don't even know about. So Mm -hmm. that's exhausting. You know, every care, every worry that your child experiences is yours because of their maternal instinct. And men don't seem to understand that. So it's a lot to ask, you know, six nights a week, but you're, you're definitely doing it way more than the average person. I'm sure there's a lot of exceptions out there, but you're doing it way more than the average couple. From I, I have tons of girlfriends, and we talk about this shit all the time. So you're definitely sexually active enough for him to be pleased. I mean, having sex more than once a week is a gift for any married man with small children. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel like you have the conversation set up in your head? Oh yeah. It's, he's a Capricorn and I'm an Aries. And so I'm very outspoken and, you know, like I, it doesn't bother me to talk about it, but he's more of like the private, you know, he doesn't want to, I don't know. He has a hard time just even announcing that he does anything like this whole thing even is like hard for him because he just, doesn't like it to be talked about and I'm like I talk about it you know I've talked about with my friends before and it's just I don't know a lot easier for me so I know I can talk to him about it and maybe you know we were talking about doing therapy for marriage anyways just because it would help drastically in anybody's marriage so I think that will probably be our next step I just wanted to do therapy before and then do marriage so (laughs) i Yeah, done that. Now marriage is the the next part. Yeah. If you can afford counseling, then you should definitely do that. Therapy is never going to be a bad move. You know, even if you find, you know, if it takes a couple of therapists to get the right one, like that is a great investment into your marriage and into your future. So definitely do that. And also, you know, with men, when you're saying he doesn't like to express himself in that way or discuss these kinds of, you know, maybe taboo things, he thinks of them as taboo, you know, Really physical touch while you're having those conversations has a big impact on people like that so that they're constantly being reassured. You know, you kind of maybe have to look at it. I know you don't want to think of him as your child because that's not hot at all. But (laughs) men can act like that, you know, and they needed sometimes to be treated like little kids because for all the reasons that you're expressing. Yeah, they have that temperament. So as loving as you can be while you're giving him the the news that you're not up for it every night and that it would be a lot easier on you if you didn't have to deal with him sulking about it. You Mm -hmm. know, that's taking away from your parenting. That's taking away from your work. And that's taking away from your marriage. Claire, I also want to give you one other thing. I just realized I did you just call her Clara? Claire. Oh, Clara. Clara, I'm into. (laughs) Um, I, I realized I just had this conversation with one of my best friends and something that she did that seemed to be really effective was instead of waiting until after the fact, she would address it right in that moment about how he was making her feel 
or mm-hmm. if, if he did something that she really liked and it made her feel good in terms of like the setup that, you know, he was rubbing her feet on the couch before they started to fool around and the kids were in their bedroom. So it was, again, a little bit more spontaneous for a parent. Like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of the living room. Like anyone mm-hmm. could walk out. But she got in the habit of telling him those things immediately. So he didn't have to try and reflect back on what you were referencing. And it's really helped them. Mm-hmm. So in the in the times where she's like, hey, I've been here all day with four kids. Like I need to get out. You're making me feel like I'm not being heard or being seen when she would do it right then, even though it was a little bit more uncomfortable. He really started to internalize that more like, oh, I now am very aware of how she's feeling in this moment. And so he could change his behavior. And he has. So I maybe give that a try as well Is don't wait to give him that feedback. Tell him like, hey, right now you're making me feel very small mm-hmm. that this is I'm just yeah. being used for this thing. And I don't want to feel that way. So, like, how can we adjust? Yeah, and move he, there forward? should be no punitiveness or punitivity. Punitive? Pun- punishment. You've got a lot of words. Uh, yeah, I don't know today. the right tense of what I'm trying to say, but you know, it shouldn't be punitive. Like, you denying him sex should not be like, then you get punished. That's not acceptable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no. You were really right. I've not ever thought about it in that way, but you nailed it because a lot of the times, like you said, when you, talk about something that happened earlier they're like i have no idea what you're even talking about like i don't remember this happening or whatever men are very dense men are very dense (laughs) another word for that is dumb dumb yeah so you do have to treat them a little bit differently i love it i love it because both of you just like say it from your heart too so i love that well we want you you to thrive we want you to have good things in life and love and happiness and all that stuff so and we would like to know what happened so please keep us posted report back and and let us know how that conversation went okay sounds great thank Thank you so much another problem solved brandon sweet she was really sweet I felt in the beginning like she was uh, almost slightly depressed. But then as she talked, I just realized she's just low energy. That's her, you know. I think these conversations, even though when people want to have them, it's like where to begin. I know. And how, how to have them. And with strangers, it's, it's very courageous for people, anyone listening, if you've been a caller or going to write in. It's very courageous to do that and ask strangers for advice. Yeah on shit we may know nothing about, but it's just important to get that conversation started. Like, take value in yourself and have the confidence to ask a question, whatever it is. And and also, I just read this book. It was talking about, you know, how the, how the first step is so important. You know, when you have something ahead of you and it feels almost insurmountable and people vacillate about what mm-hmm. they're going to say and when they're going to say it or they're, what's the thing where you wait until the last minute? Um, procrastinate. Procrastinate. That's an, that's the word. I think it's so important to just take that first step because yeah. all the other steps become easier once you take the first one. I'm reading a book about that as well. Oh, what, what's your book called? It's called Dream First, Details Later. It's by Ellen Marie Bennett. And it's basically just about taking the first step that you there's no sense in over planning anything because it's all going to be trial and error. You just have to put that thought out there yes or that act yeah you you have have to to put it out there and and things that seem like oh how am i ever going to get this done it's like you take the first step in getting it done it tends to have a domino effect and you know once it's in motion yeah once you set something in motion it becomes much easier so that's a good piece of advice for everybody really when they're whether it's about sex or anything else you know i was just starting to write my stand-up remember and i was like i can't sit down and write i can't sit down and write i can't and just because i have a deadline i just sat down and you know took that first step and then it started to flow so it is about but once you made that choice yeah you, you saw exactly, it is about the choice that you make yeah. that's exactly right there's actually a really great quote in the book i'm reading whatever has happened to you in life whatever hardship whatever pain 
They pale in comparison to the power you have to choose what to do now. That's really nice. That was from a book. It's called Effortless by Greg McEwen. He had written that book, Essentialism, that I really liked. Yeah, you love that one. Yeah, and I don't like this book as much. It it feels more business-focused. Which is strange. You don't love that since you're such a business gal. I know. Don't say gal, sweetheart. I'm not a gal. I'm a girl or a woman. But anyway, yeah, he writes in this. There's a, there's some good things in this book, but I just, I don't know if I can give a full-throated endorsement. Uh, well, why don't you let us know when you get through it? Oh, I did. I finished it. Oh, you it. did? Yeah. Oh, it looks like it's... I read it on the plane. right in the middle. Oh, really? No, I just, I just, oh, I, I earmarked this, another great quote. When you focus on what you lack, you lose what you have. When you focus on what you have, you get what you lack. I mean, that's pretty basic, but I liked it anyway, because some people just really need a basic reminder Well, and that's easy to remember. Yeah. That's the good thing about always switching your thought. Like if you have a negative thought and you go, oh, no, I got to think of something I'm grateful for. That habit gets gets easy and and becomes a habit very quickly. I speak from experience. So that's a good, you know, you are in control of your destiny Mm -hmm. in that sense. I know a lot of people think that destiny is in control of them, but I like to think that we have something to say about it. I think it's a path that you can dictate. Like there may be an over arching theme but you have people have control yeah you do have control over your life and you also have yeah it's the power of your conviction and the yeah we need to empower everybody everyone needs to be emboldened and empowered to say yes no thank you sir get out of me well in the so in this book she talks about it in terms of kind of like your own personal piggy bank where when you make a choice that makes you uncomfortable but you do it regardless, you're investing yourself. And that's like like your confidence bank. So mm-hmm. every time you do that, it doesn't matter how small it is, trying something new on the menu that you you may not necessarily gravitate towards an interaction with someone. Like you are reinvesting that into yourself and building up your own confidence. So if you just make that effort on a daily basis to make choices that might make you a little uncomfortable, when the big one comes, you're going to feel able in a way that you may not otherwise just on you know your daily choices yeah right you feel a little bit more competent when you have a pattern of making decisions well i would like to know what happens with her so hopefully claire reaches back i mean six nights a week to have sex is a lot like i don't even fucking want to do that and i'm single and horny like i don't want to have sex six nights a week that's just unreasonable. No, that's I mean, no wonder it is unenjoyable With children. To, some, to some degree. Like that's like if they you're need on, to space that out. Maybe if you're on vacation, maybe. Maybe. But probably not. Not for me. Um, our next submission comes from Nancy. She's in her forties. She writes, From one big breasted gal to another, what's your favorite brand of bra to hold these girls up? I don't even know what kind of bra this is, Brandon. Can you see the label? Uh-huh. I change bras all the time because I go through phases where I like the way certain one looks. And then I like to, to minimize. Oh, oh, this is your Notori. Notori? Notori. How do you spell it? N-A-T-O-R-I. So I like this bra because it keeps my breasts up and bouncy. Like it's not. I used to wear bras that would minimize my boobs so that they look smaller. and But they end up cutting you in different weird places. Mm-hmm. And then you have little like cleavage coming out of your bras that isn't cute and then your boobs can look pointy well, so the, this is a round bra and it's a padded and it has an it's underwire, not a padded right? it's got a very thin lining it's okay. not padded because i don't need well you padding, don't need obviously and yes there's got to be underwire because yes i mean we're not teenagers but this is my favorite bra and then do you remember the, the brand the one that i sent sarah silverman a bunch of the, that brand oh chanterelle Oh, Chantel. Chantel? I think it's Chantel. Chanterelle, I think, are mushrooms. Oh, well. 
So that's the minimizer bra that I used that makes your breasts like more contained if that's what you're looking for. But I'm a 34D, I think, Brandon. What am I? D? Yeah, 34D. Double D? I don't no, know. Not double D. They're big, but they're not gargantuan. So, they're manageable. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Uh, I know bra shopping is such a fucking pain in the ass. And the other thing about bras is, is sometimes you can put on a bra and it looks and feels great. And then 20 minutes later, it looks like you're wearing two pancakes on your chest. Once it wears in, you have to test out a bra for an entire day to know if it works. They give you those like conical breasts. Yeah. You had one of those. I will never forget it. You put a dress on. I can't remember what. Actually, (sighs) you put it on. You're just like, why do my breasts look so coney pointy pointy yeah, yeah like the 40s breasts yeah. where they used to wear those bras <laughs> I'm like, i didn't know it could make that shape so the bra that i used to wear did that but it's like you know what and then it gives me that underarm fat like this it the best thing to do is just to hold your breasts <laughs> the bra should just hold your breasts and not cut any of your skin off mm-hmm. which is hard and that it requires doing a lot of bra fittings but if you go to one of those specialty stores they usually those women there like bra specialty stores usually know what they're talking about do you have a favorite sports bra brand I don't know what my favorite sports bra is. I do love wearing sports bras, though, because that really keeps everything in check and nice and rounded. Because then you're, I mean, I wear like Nike, Adidas, all those. And then there's that, what's that oh, brand you know, you actually in like... Texas that I like, that girl from Austin? Outdoor, Outdoor Voices. Voices. They have good bras. You also Outdoor like, Voices. Uh, well, you did it one time, a Lululemon, because it, the straps were hardier. To keep, uh, to keep the girls yeah. contained. Lululemon always has good stuff. Yeah, they have good stuff for... It's just a matter of like where you carry your fat, right? If you carry it under your arms and like side boob, all of that is an issue. So you really have to like... It's curated. Each person needs to like get their own bespoke bra situation going. I'm so glad I don't have boobs. Well, sweetheart, if you keep working out at the I pace could. you're working out, you're going to outpace me. And then I can borrow one of your bras. I don't know what the bra question had to do with the sex. Oh, these are body well, just, parts just and body. anatomy. Yeah. Right. So okay. A lot of bases. And then I should just send her a couple of bras. What size is she? Nancy. Nancy. We'll get in touch with Nancy. We'll find out and we'll send some bra options. Okay. We are going to take a break right now so I can go gas up my electric car and see then how it runs. I'm a mess right now. I, I'll tell you what happened recently well this weekend my bell she put a chocolate you know those little chocolates which in my defense are not wrapped they're a la carte so it's just the chocolate on my pillow and i woke up and there was a huge chocolate stain on my pillow because of the Uh. chocolate melted (laughs) and then she yells at me that it's fucking dirty in the morning it's like bitch it fucking melted but i can't say anything i just have to take her shit you know uh, and I was video messaging with my girlfriend and I showed her and she's like, you are one of the most disgusting human beings ever. She's like, how can you sleep in a bed with chocolate on the sheets? I'm like, well, it's on the pillowcase and I have like four pillows. So who gives a shit? I'm just, you know, not a teetotaler like that, sweetheart. I had to have uh, housekeeping when I was on my trip, change the sheets almost daily because I was eating in bed oh, and because I'd, I'd gone off off the deep plan, end. Yes. did you? Yeah. Mm. And on this night specifically, I'd woken up with the white sheets covered in protein bar. I was dipping it in almond butter. Oh my God. <laughs> and Sweetheart. Sweetheart. So I had peanut butter and Did you uh, video message? Did you some... videotape yourself so you could send that to your nutritionist? I didn't. I didn't want anyone to see that sort of shame. What about Levi? How does he react to that? Oh, he's disgusted by me. I mean, there are always crumbs in bed and he's constantly, he has to do one of like the full size floor lint rollers in bed because there are constantly crumbs just 
in every little cranny. Wow, sweetheart. Maybe we should be sleeping together. That sounds like what's happening in my neck of the woods. We would have bugs. I love a snack in bed. I, I love just in bed. love it. You know those little blueberry bars that I eat? Mm-hmm. Those like uh, yeah. cookies? They're a little crumbly. Oh, those are good. What are they called? I don't know. They're from Whole Foods. Oh, they're so delicious. And they you have chocolate in the fridge. They have chocolate chip ones. They have blueberry ones. You keep them in the fridge, and then <laughs> they I have pop a banana in... nut. You don't like that one, but I do. Oh, I haven't tried that one. Maybe because you're hoarding them. Probably. I pop them in the microwave for thirty seconds though, because then it's like a hot treat. I know you don't eat cereal, but that's one of my favorite snacks in bed right before I go to sleep. A fucking big bowl of cereal. There is nothing better than going to sleep with a full belly. No, it's the best. Okay, so what did we learn today? That well, they, what? A, a lot of bodies. A lot of body stuff, a lot yeah. of sex, sex. I like talking about sex. I like talking about marital sex. I like giving advice on marital sex because, I mean, You're honestly. Not having any? Well, no. And and I like the idea that I have anything to say about it. I think I think that's fun. <laughs> and there you have it. Problem solved. Okay, well, this was wonderful. Thank you for being with us. And we will be back again next week to discuss more of your problems and hopefully solve them. Assalamu alaikum. Bye-bye. If you need help with any of your issues, you can write in to dearchelseaproject at gmail.com. Again, dearchelseaproject at gmail.com. Also, I am on tour. My tickets are officially on sale. We've added a couple of extra shows. We're going to be announcing dates as we go. You can buy tickets at Ticketmaster for my shows and tickets are available and I can't fucking wait. It's called Vaccinated and Horny. So make sure that you bring your vaccinations and your horniness and then keep them to yourself, please.